Hey guys, welcome to the Bitcoin Fortress podcast, helping you increase your financial freedom. This is episode 95, recorded here on December 17, 2023. This podcast is for entertainment only, not investing advice. Please do your own homework. All right, we'll start with the market update. U.S. stocks ended the week largely higher, even as some Federal Reserve speakers pushed back on euphoria around interest rate cuts following the central bank's dovish pivot two days ago. Equities also fluctuated amid some volatility on a day that marked a quarterly, quote, triple witching event. The tech-heavy NASDAQ composite advanced 0.35% to settle at 14,813.92. Buoyed by a rise in Intel and other chip stocks following several stock upgrades from Bank of America. The S&P 500 index and the blue chip Dow Jones Industrial Average both swung between gains and losses, with the former eventually finishing little changed at 4719.19, and the latter climbing 0.16% to conclude at 37309.22. Overall, stocks registered their seventh straight week of gains, which was the best winning streak for the S&P 500 since 2017 and the best streak for the Dow since 2019. For the week, the Dow Jones Industrial Average gained 2.9%, the S&P 500 index was up 2.5%, and the NASDAQ rose 2.9%. The two-year Treasury yield ended the week at 4.45% after big drops earlier in the week. Looking ahead, the release of the November Personal Consumption Expenditures Index next week will be the latest inflation gauge to hit the tape. And looking ahead, the economic calendar is heavy next week as releases covering housing, manufacturing, and consumer sentiment pour in just ahead of the three-day weekend for the Christmas holiday. The key release will be the monthly update on, on core PCE. The Federal Reserve's favorite inflation gauge is forecast to show a soft 0.2% month-over-month rise in November to take the year-over-year rate down to 3.4%. Crucially, that mark would also imply a six-month annualized inflation rate of just above 2%, which is the Fed's stated inflation target. If the core PCE number comes in close to expectations, the buzz over lower interest rates may continue. Uh, Federal funds futures trading are implying a 95% probability that the Fed's target rate would be lower than the current level after the May FOMC meeting. Globally, the Bank of Japan meeting next week also has the potential for some dramatic news on the end of the negative interest rate era for the nation. Meanwhile, notable earnings reports in the U.S. include updates from FedEx, Nike, Carnival, and Micron Technology. Moving into Bitcoin news, uh, first is the HODLers Digest from uh, Cointelegraph. Top stories of the week. BlackRock revises spot Bitcoin ETF to enable easier access for banks. BlackRock has revised its Spot Bitcoin Exchange Traded Fund application to make it easier for Wall Street banks to participate by creating new shares in the fund 
with cash rather than just crypto. The new in-kind redemption prepay model will allow banking giants such as JP Morgan or Goldman Sachs to act as authorized participants for the fund, letting them circumvent restrictions that prevent them from holding Bitcoin or crypto directly on their balance sheets. El Salvador expects to sell out Bitcoin Freedom Visa by the end of the year. We talked about this last week, actually. El Salvador's National Bitcoin Office says its $1 million Freedom Visa program has already received hundreds of inquiries since its launch on December 7th and expects it to sell out before the end of 2023. Launched by the local government in partnership with stablecoin issuer Tether, the Freedom Visa is a citizenship by donation program that grants a residency visa and pathway to citizenship for a thousand people willing to make a $1 million Bitcoin or Tether donation to the country. The program is limited to a thousand slots per calendar year. Pretty smart, if you ask me, although it's not affordable for the average person, unfortunately. Sam Bankman-Fried's lawyer says FTX fraud trial was almost impossible to win according to a report. The lawyer responsible for Sam Bankman-Fried's criminal trial defense has admitted that the case was almost impossible to win from the outset. During an interview, Stanford Law School professor David Mills said he recommended the legal defense of SPF admit to the allegations of witnesses and state prosecution and convince the jury that Bankman-Fried intended to save the company. Mills also disclosed that he had agreed to lend his expertise to Bankman-Fried's defense at the behest of FTX CEO's parents and described Bankman-Fried as the worst person I've ever seen do a cross-examination. Yearn Finance pleads arbitrators to return funds after 1.4 million multisig mishap. Yearn Finance is hoping to arbitrage traders will return $1.4 million in funds after a multi-signature scripting error resulted in a large amount of the protocol's treasury being drained. The error occurred while Yearn was converting its Y-Vault LPY curve, earned from performance fees on vault harvests, into stablecoins on the decentralized exchange COW swap. Yearn suffered significant slippage when it received 779,758 DAI Y-Vault tokens from the trade, resulting in a 63% drop in the liquidity pool value. Oops, if that sounds complicated, it's because it is. Just hold Bitcoin in cold storage. Forget about all the yield farming. SEC pushes deadline for decision on Invesco Galaxy Spot Ethereum ETF to 2024. The United States Securities and Exchange Commission has delayed its decision on whether to approve or reject a Spot Ether ETF proposed by Invesco and Galaxy Digital. The companies filed the Spot ETH ETF application in September. The proposed Spot crypto investment vehicle is one of many being considered by the commission, which to date has never approved an ETF with direct exposure to Ether, Bitcoin, or other cryptocurrencies. Uh, Memorable quotes. This one from Howard Lutnick, CEO of Cantor Fitzgerald. I'm a big fan of this stablecoin called Tether. I hold their treasuries, so I keep their treasuries, and and they have a lot of treasuries. Uh, this from Dominic Williams, founder and chief scientist for at Definity. This blockchain can be leveraged to ensure proper recycling and handling of waste materials by tracking them from origin to destination. 
uh, from Mike Novogratz, CEO of Galaxy Digital. Digital currencies are the natural evolution of the world's payment system, and Europe is paving the way for this inevitable shift. Um, we already heard the David Mills quote, so I won't go over that again. Oh, Elizabeth Warren, our favorite U.S. Senator. Our bipartisan bill is the toughest proposal on the table, cracking down on crypto's illicit use and giving regulators more tools in their toolbox. And then uh, from Javier Millet, president of Argentina, we have to understand that the central bank is a scam. What Bitcoin represents is the return of money to its original creation, the private sector. It's a pretty old quote, actually. Prediction of the week. No excuse not to long crypto. Arthur Hayes repeats $1 million Bitcoin price bet. Bitcoin and altcoins are a no-brainer bet in the current macro climate, Arthur Hayes says in a post on X, formerly Twitter, on December 14th. The former CEO of exchange BitMEX said that investors have no excuse to short crypto. <clears throat> Going long on crypto is the key to success as markets bet on the United States Federal Reserve lowering interest rates next year, Hayes argues. At this point, there's no excuse not to be long crypto, part of his post stated. How many more times must they tell you that the fiat in your pocket is a filthy piece of trash, he wrote. Hayes further reiterated a long-standing $1 million Bitcoin price prediction as a result of macro tides eroding the value of nat national currencies. Uh, in FUD of the week, Ledger patches vulnerability after multiple dApps used connector library were compromised. Uh, the front end of multiple decentralized applications using Ledger's connector were compromised on December 14th. Ledger announced that it had fixed the problem three hours after the initial reports about the attack. Protocols effective included Zapper, SushiSwap, Phantom, Balancer, and Revoke.cash, stealing at least $484,000 in digital assets. The attacker utilizing a phishing exploit to gain access to the computer of a former Ledger employee. The hack sparked criticism about Ledger's security approach. And we'll dive into that one in a little bit more detail. Bitcoin inscriptions added to U.S. National Vulnerability Database. We talked about this last week, but the National Vulnerability Database flagged Bitcoin's inscriptions as a cybersecurity risk on December 9th, calling attention to the security flaw that enabled the development of the Ordinals Protocol in 2022. According to the database records, a data carrier limit can be bypassed by masking data as code in some Bitcoin Core and Bitcoin Knots versions. As one of its potential impacts, the vulnerability could result in large amounts of non-transactional data spamming the blockchain, potentially increasing network size and adversely affecting performance and fees. And of course, we've seen that. Safe Moon falls 31% in five hours after filing for Chapter 7 bankruptcy. Hmm. Guess it wasn't so safe after all. The token of decentralized finance protocol Safe Moon has fallen 31% in five hours after the company behind it filed for bankruptcy. So there's the key the company behind it. That's when you know it's a shitcoin. SafeMoon officially applied for Chapter 7 bankruptcy, also known as liquidation bankruptcy, on December 14th. The latest blow comes only a month after the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission charged SafeMoon and its executives with violating securities laws in what the regulator described as a massive fraudulent scheme. Several, several former SafeMoon supporters expressed frustration on Reddit regarding the bankruptcy, alleging they were rug-pulled 
by the SafeMoon developers. And the rugs will continue until people learn their lesson. And that wraps that up. Next up from Coindesk, this article is posted on December 14th. It's an opinion piece. What we know about the massive ledger hack. So let's dive into this one. Multiple Ethereum-based applications, including Zapper, SushiSwap, Phantom Balancer, and Revoke.cash were compromised early Thursday due to a Ledger security breach. Ledger, the Paris-based crypto hardware wallet manufacturer, said it has fixed the malicious code as of 1335 UTC. The company also warned users to clear sign transactions, a way to ensure you are interacting directly with the company's website and software. It's not yet known how many decentralized apps were or are affected or how much money has been lost. Anecdotal reports on social media suggest the exploit is widespread. Blockade, a blockchain security firm, said upwards of $150,000 in crypto had been lost due to this unique supply chain attack on Ledger's Connect Kit, which is deployed across the decentralized finance ecosystem. Do not interact with any dApps until further notice, Sushi, Sushi Chief Technology Officer Matthew Lilly wrote on X Twitter, one of the first people to acknowledge the attack. It appears that a commonly used Web3 connector has been compromised, which allows for injection of malicious code affecting numerous dApps. Hacks are a common occurrence in crypto, especially in the freewheeling world of decentralized finance where financial software is frequently deployed without the appropriate level of auditing and testing, as well as used by people without the knowledge to do proper due diligence. Centralized entities, aka companies like Ledger, are also common targets for assaults. These types of breaches are a stain on the industry, affecting not only actual people and projects, but also crypto's reputation. Internet pioneer and security expert Steve Gibson Keeps up with the litany of crypto hacks on the popular podcast Security Now. He co-hosts with fellow tech legend Leo Laporte and recently said any industry where there is a running tally of the largest hacks should be treated with extreme skepticism. Still, there is sometimes a silver lining to crypto exploits. These events, however, blackening can also be moments of levity and a chance for seasoned crypto professionals to showcase their skills and the built-in benefits of blockchain. Most crypto transactions cannot be reversed, but attackers can end up in a dead end trying to actually capitalize on their ill-gotten gains. Tether, the largest stablecoin issuer, for instance, announced it froze the explorer's address hours after the hack, which speaks to the ability for the on-chain sleuths to track down and put pressure on attackers. So is it too soon to laugh about it? Just last week, Coindesk listed Ledger CEO Pascal Gauthier and several of the impacted DeFi protocols on its annual most influential list. Perhaps we can laugh about the inauspicious timing, but that's the thing about open source development that happens in the public eye. Even the worst moments can hold valuable lessons for all. On social media, the breach has become an occasion to joke, condemn, and learn. And there's a whole list of of Twitter posts here, uh, and you can check that out in the live article, uh, which I will post in the show notes. Um, so if you use Ledger as your hardware wallet, you might want to consider switching to another one. 
if you have a ledger wallet is part of your your multi-sig quorum, like with the Trezor or a cold card or something like that, um, just like with the last exploit, which had to do with the uh, Ledger Live app and them using them, collecting your data or something like that. I forgot what it was, but it was a few months ago. It was another big black eye for Ledger. Um, you're not totally relying on it, so it's probably not that big of a risk. You certainly shouldn't rush out and do anything hasty. Um, I myself am exploring uh, replacing the Ledger hardware wallet in my two of three uh, multi-sig quorum uh, with a cold card. Um, but, uh, you know, again, I'm going to do that very carefully and slowly um, as you should if you decide to replace Ledger. But again, if it's in a two of three and you're not doing firmware updates like I am, you're probably okay with it. It's not the end of the world because you can't compromise anything with uh, if it's only if it's multi-sig. You have to have both keys compromised, in other words. I wrote a post about this a while back on my um, Substack as well, why it's uh, why multi-sig is important, because as you hear more and more about these types of exploits and hacks and security concerns with um, hardware wallet manufacturers, it just makes a lot of sense to not rely on any one device because um, anything could happen. Next up is from Bitcoin.com. This article was posted two days ago. SEC Chair Gensler reveals regulator is taking a new look at spot Bitcoin ETF filings. The chairman of the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission, Gary Gensler, answered some questions regarding spot Bitcoin exchange traded fund applications in an interview with CNBC on Thursday. We have, I think, between eight and a dozen filings. That's going through the process right now, Gensler explained emphasizing that as the chairman of the SEC, he's not going to prejudge any particular filing. According to public records, there are currently 13 spot Bitcoin ETF applications pending at the SEC. As you might know, we had in the past denied a number of these applications, but the courts here in the District of Columbia weighed in on that, the SEC chairman noted, adding, so we're taking a new look at this based upon those court rulings. Gensler's comments stemmed from a legal dispute involving the SEC's denial of Grayscale Investments' application to convert its Bitcoin trust, GBTC, into a spot Bitcoin ETF. The court subsequently ordered the SEC to reevaluate the crypto asset manager's application, commenting on whether the SEC has objection to the court ruling in the Grayscale case. Gensler said, we do everything at the Securities and Exchange Commission within the laws Congress has passed and how the courts interpret them. We look keenly to the economics. Gensler similarly told Bloomberg this week that the securities regulator does things according to its authorities and how the courts interpret them. Regarding the crypto market, Chair Gensler stated, I would say this about the crypto field. There's a lot of noncompliance, noncompliance with the securities laws that they're are there to help you with the disclosure so you can make an investment decision, but also to protect you against fraud and manipulation. And there's been far too much fraud and bad actors in the crypto field. There's a lot of noncompliance, not only with the securities laws, but other laws around any money laundering and protecting the public against bad actors there. He further stressed, 
this is a field where you still don't have the fundamental information on many of these projects and the intermediaries of the so-called crypto exchanges are commingling and doing things that we do not allow anywhere else in our financial system. It sounds like he's still a little bit worried. Um, and there certainly are a lot of scammers in crypto, but uh, that's why we Bitcoin only. Uh, next up is, uh, this is from Reuters. This was published on December 16th. U.S. SEC says no to new crypto rules. Coinbase asked court to review. The United States Securities and Exchange Commission on Friday denied a petition by Coinbase Global seeking new rules, new rules from the agency for the digital asset sector, which the country's largest crypto exchange then sought to challenge in court. The five-member commission in a 3-2 vote said it would not propose new rules because it fundamentally disagreed that current regulations are unworkable for the cryptosphere, as Coinbase has argued. Coinbase later said that it had filed a petition for review of the SEC's decision in court. <laughs> I guess they're just going to keep litigating. The dispute was the latest in a broader tug of war between the crypto sector and the top U.S. markets regulator, which has repeatedly said most crypto tokens are securities and subject to its jurisdiction. The agency has sued several crypto companies, including Coinbase, for listing and trading crypto tokens, which it says should be registered as securities. Existing laws and regulations apply to the crypto securities markets, SEC Chair Gary Gensler said in a separate statement supporting the decision. No one looking fairly at our industry thinks the law is clear or that there isn't more work to do, Chief Legal Officer Paul Gruwal said in a statement. We should be working together to create laws and rules that will benefit consumers and U.S. innovation. Shortly thereafter, Coinbase notified a federal court of appeals in Philadelphia of its plans to seek review of the SEC's denial. The SEC's decision was arbitrary and capricious and an abuse of discretion, Coinbase said in a court filing that Gruwal shared on social media platform X. In 2022, the company pressed the SEC to create a bespoke set of rules for the crypto sector, arguing that existing U.S. securities laws are inadequate. In April, Coinbase appealed to a judge to force the SEC to respond to the petition. The court said it would not force the agency to act given the SEC had said it would respond to Coinbase's petition. Crypto firms have said they want a clearer idea of when the SEC views a digital asset to be a security. In his statement on Friday, Gensler argued that in asking the SEC to write rules, Coinbase had acknowledged the SEC's authority over the crypto sector, something the crypto exchange has refuted in the past. Republican SEC commissioners Hester Pierce and Mark Ueda said in a joint statement that they disagreed with the decision. In our view, the petition raises issues presented by new technologies and other innovations and addressing these important issues is a core part of being a responsible regulator, they said. So even the regulators can't all agree. Uh, next up, this is from Crypto News. This was posted uh, today. Tether CEO details partnership with FBI and Secret Service in letter to legislators. So Tether is fighting for its life as uh, Elizabeth Warren and everybody starts cracking down on crypto. And uh, so they've invited the, uh, the government right on in. Tether, the company, company, again, company means 
Bitcoin. Bitcoin doesn't have a company. There's a meme about the Bitcoin CEO says prices to go up. There's no company. There's no leader. That's the big difference. And that's why if you own Bitcoin, it's uncensorable. But if you own Tether, well, we're going to find out. So Tether, the company responsible for the USDT stablecoin, has made public letters it sent to the U.S. Senate Committee on Banking, Housing and Urban Affairs, and the U.S. House Financial Services Committee underscoring its dedication to security and close cooperation with law enforcement agencies. In one of the recent letters, Tether CEO Paulo Arduino, who recently assumed leadership, emphasized the company's decision to disable Tether tokens held in wallets associated with the Office of Foreign Assets and Controls, or OFAC, sanction list. Uh, Note to self, never get on that list. Tether uh, claims to have assisted the Department of Justice. By the way, how did people get on the list? And if you get on in error, how do you get off? Hmm. It's a good thing Bitcoin doesn't follow that. Tether claims to have assisted the Department of Justice, U.S. Secret Service, and Federal Bureau of Investigation in freezing 326 wallets controlling a total of 435 million USDT. However, <clears throat> it seems that the latest frozen wallets contain a smaller number of tokens than the aforementioned sum. Arduino also disclosed that Tether has recently onboarded the United States Secret Service onto its platform and is in the process of doing the same with the FBI. Come on in, guys. The water's warm. <clears throat> These partnerships underline, underline Tether's commitment to collaborating with law enforcement agencies to ensure the integrity and security of its operations. The letters were specifically addressed to Senator Cynthia Lummis, a well-known proponent of cryptocurrencies within the Senate, and were also sent to the chairs and ranking members of the aforementioned committees. Tether's communication with legislators aims to provide transparency regarding its interactions with law enforcement and its efforts to comply with regulatory standards. Last week, Tether froze the wallets of individuals sanctioned by the U.S. Office of Foreign Asset Controls. At the time, the company said it aims to prevent potential misuse of its tokens and enhance security measures by aligning with global law enforcement and regulators. According to blockchain data, Tether froze a total of 161 Ethereum wallets, although 150 of these wallets currently hold no USDT tokens. Among the remaining 11 wallets, over 3.5 million USDT tokens are held, with the majority concentrated in a single address holding 3.4 million tokens. Notably, this address has been linked to a recent hack of the betting platform Stake. Of the wallets holding USDT tokens, Two addresses contain around 20,000 tokens each, while another holds nearly 60,000 tokens. The remaining wallets hold smaller amounts, with one wallet containing just 16 cents worth of frozen USDT. In May 2023, Tether announced its plans to allocate up to 15% of net realized profits into Bitcoin on an ongoing basis by holding Bitcoin and other assets. Tether aims to protect its reserves from the loss of purchasing power during prolonged cryptocurrency market downturns. Courtesy of the recent surge in prices, Tether's Bitcoin holdings have gained around 85% or $1.1 billion since their acquisition. Well, that was a smart move. But uh, yeah, centralized shitcoins, got to watch out for them. Uh, they are now 
going to be fully surveilled. No privacy. Uh, next up is from Crypto Potato, <clears throat> one of my new favorite websites to uh, watch. This one was posted today. Bitcoin retail crowd missing. Google search trends show lackluster enthusiasm for crypto. Not a shocker, considering all of the bad things that have happened this past year with FTX and all the exchanges blowing up and, uh, you know, the um, hedge funds that were linked to all that, like Three Arrows, et cetera, et cetera. And, of course, you know, just like we talked about earlier with Ledger and um, some of these other hacks, and um, there's just a lot of... Um, noise so it would make sense that uh the retail uh market is is very very cautious but being a contrarian i kind of like that you know um that's the time to be buying i think is when everybody just doesn't want it anyway google search trends reveal a subdued level of retail enthusiasm for the cryptocurrency market as Bitcoin emerges as the top performing asset in 2023, it has garnered endorsement from major Wall Street players such as BlackRock, who are actively working to integrate cryptocurrencies into the financial mainstream. This indicates that the extended crypto winter has indeed come to an end, but it seems that retail participants are falling behind. Bitcoin's recent price action to the upside helped it cross back into top 10 largest assets by market cap, as Bitcoin breached 800 million in market cap earlier, that can't be right. I think it's 800 billion in market cap earlier this month. It surpassed the 10th slot and now sits behind other major assets such as gold with around 14 trillion, silver at one and a half trillion, and Apple at three trillion. While this was reflective of Bitcoin's growing relevancy and legitimacy as a global macro asset, retail traders appear to be on the sidelines. This is evidenced by Google search trends, which depicted a lackluster retail exuberance in the crypto market. Upon gauging Google search trends for Bitcoin, reflex, reflexivity research observed that the market is still far from levels of euphoria and retail speculative activity that were previously reached during cyclical Bitcoin peaks, which again, like I said earlier, is great news, especially if you're buying and stacking you know, dollar cost averaging right now. Uh, a recent report also highlighted a notable absence of app downloads, a key element that characterized past bull markets. During the boom years of 2017 and 2021, consumer crypto apps, particularly Coinbase, dominated Apple's App Store rankings as individuals eagerly sought to participate in the crypto action. There has been a shift in the current scenario despite the surge in Bitcoin prices. Coinbase has reportedly slipped to number 318 overall and 21 among consumer finance apps, a significant decline from its previous number one position. Now, some of that could be just because people are buying Bitcoin in other ways and they're holding it in self-custody and they're not holding on exchanges, but certainly the, the retail uh, FOMO crowd and the flippers would tend to gravitate towards a, an app like that. It's totally designed for trading and not really for anything else, in my opinion. Experts believe that the crypto market continues to heat up. New participants, particularly retail investors, will join the fray. 
sparking the most substantial boom cycle yet. However, the absence of these metrics raises skepticism about this outlook. The absence of retail customers in the current cycle could be attributed to people staying informed about this space over the past 18 months. The presence of figures like Sam Bankman-Fried, the FTX founder who was convicted of fraud and related crimes this year might have dissuaded potential investors. Again, like I said earlier, the idea is that individuals having followed the news have decided to steer clear of an asset class associated with certain figures or events. And again, maybe that was by design. Another reason suggests that a considerable portion of the younger demographic who are statistically more likely to own crypto compared to their parents may already possess wallets from the previous bull cycle. In this scenario, platforms like Coinbase could be seeking new customers from a diminishing pool of individuals who are just starting to explore the world of crypto for the first time. And again, that makes sense. It's what I said too. If you already have your stack and you're holding it in cold storage and you're and you're buying, there are many, many providers, you know, that you can buy Bitcoin from and and go direct into cold storage, or you can just transfer it into cold storage, like with um, Strike, and just keep stacking. And so, you know, and people that already hold Bitcoin uh, are not needing to download a new wallet. So that makes sense as well. Uh, the argument here is that these newcomers might not be numerous enough to impact app download metrics significantly. With the lack of a reliable indicator to monitor retail investment in crypto, drawing meaningful conclusions requires a comprehensive data set that goes beyond depending solely on metrics like Google Trends and rankings of downloads for crypto-related apps. And I would agree. I think things have definitely changed in the market <clears throat> since the last cycle. But there will be the normies that will flood in to make a quick buck, and that will probably happen. My guess will be next year sometime. That's when you know you'll have a market peak and a blow off top, and then everybody will get wrecked, and the hodlers will just keep hodling, and it'll keep dollar cost averaging and accumulating through the bear market like we did these past couple of years. Next up from Coin Telegraph. This article was posted, uh, looks like today. Bitcoin fees hit 20 month high as minor revenues match 69K Bitcoin price. So this is beginning a lot of talk lately. Bitcoin on-chain transaction fees are dividing opinion as, as the cost of sending Bitcoin skyrockets. Data from the statistics research bit info charts puts the average transaction fee at nearly $40 as of December 17th. The latest wave of Bitcoin ordinals inscriptions has resulted in elevated transaction fees for all network users, but some believe that they are here to stay. Per BitInfo charts, it currently costs just over $37 to send Bitcoin on chain, the highest average figure since April 2021. Additional figures from mempool.space show that Bitcoin's mempool, the size of the unconfirmed on-chain transaction backlog, is vast resulting in transactions with an attached fee of even $2 having no on-chain priority. Almost 350,000 transactions are waiting to be confirmed at the time of writing. As casual on-chain spending becomes unviable for many smaller investors, a heated debate among Bitcoin proponents continues. 
While many are angry at the impact of ordinals on fees, popular Bitcoin figures argue that double-digit transaction costs are merely a taste of things to come. Those wanting to shield themselves need to embrace so-called Layer 2 solutions such as the Lightning Network, which is specifically designed to cater to mass adoption. Fees are currently artificially and temporarily high due to JPEG clownery, but it is nothing more than a glimpse into the future. Scaling doesn't happen on layer one, popular commentator Hodel Knott wrote in one of many posts on the topic on X, formerly Twitter, on December 16th. Continuing, Hodel Knott argued that demanding low fees for level one transactions is just not ignorant, not just ignorant. It feeds into an attack on Bitcoin. This reflects on the very composition of Bitcoin itself as a competition-based network gaining value over time as proof-of-work intends. Keeping fees low is contradictory, and as hard forks of the Bitcoin network specifically intended to offer that benefit have shown, does not attract value. Why is it critical to onboard someone to level 1 when sub $1 fees if they can't afford to move the funds in five years anyway? Go to Bcash or another centralized pipe dream already, hold not added, referring to one such offshoot Bitcoin Cash. Elsewhere, well-known commentator Beautyon reiterated that despite the fees, Bitcoin continues to function as intended. If ordinals bring the high on-chain world to everyone earlier than expected, it will act like a scythe cutting down everyone that did not accept a layer two solution to the network fee problem part of a recent x post stated many users will be confused upset and ready to abandon bitcoin there will be no recourse for them obviously because there's no one to blame no one to seek compensation from <coughs> after all this is the normal state of the network the rules are being followed and those are the rules you agreed to board apes that perspective is shared by Bitcoin veteran Adam Back, co-founder of Bitcoin and blockchain technology firm Blockstream. For him, the answer likewise lies in expanding layer two capabilities instead of relying on anything beyond minor fee incentives. You can't stop JPEGs on Bitcoin, he concluded. Complaining will only make them do it more, trying to stop them and they'll do it in worse ways. The high fees drive adoption of layer two and force innovation so relax and build things and i totally agree with him i'm kind of in that camp you know it's a free market let the free market do its thing and uh i think lynn alden wrote a nice post on nostra the other day that basically said uh this 37 bucks 40 bucks whatever it is is still a heck of a lot less than than it costs to transfer money um internationally <clears throat> through the fiat system and uh and to do so without permission i mean that's that's worth something too you know arguably so data from blockchain.com shows miners revenue the sum total of block subsidies and fees in us dollar hitting levels last seen when bitcoin hits its current $69,000 all-time high in november 2021 bitcoin us dollar traded at around 42,000 toward the December 17th weekly close per data from Cointelegraph, Markets Pro, and TradingView. So again, like I said, I'm not too worried at all about the fees. Uh, if anything, it, it accelerates the miners towards the future, which is the future where they won't get the block subsidy. They'll only get fees to survive on. And this, uh, this should encourage more people to plug in home miners. It should encourage more people to join mining pools 
And, uh, you know, the more mining we have, the, the more secure the network is, too. So the, the game theory just plays out nicely. And, um, yeah, just use Layer 2 to, uh, to do your small transactions. Uh, next article is from Decrypt. This was uh, posted on December 12th. Um, article's entitled, El Salvador's Bitcoin Volcano Bonds Receive Regulatory Approval for Q1 2024 Issuance. El Salvador's planned Bitcoin bonds have received regulatory approval from the country's Digital Assets Commission. The country's National Bitcoin Office announced the news in a tweet stating that it expects the bond to be issued during the first quarter of 2024. This is just the beginning for new capital markets on Bitcoin in El Salvador, the ONBTC added. El Salvador's president, Najib Bukele, retweeted a number of posts confirming the news. Per a tweet from the ONBTC, the bonds will be issued on the Bitfinex securities platform. The issuance of Bitcoin bonds has long been an ambition for Bukele, who first announced plans to launch them after El Salvador's Bitcoin law made the cryptocurrency legal tender in 2021. Hard to believe that was two years ago already. <clears throat> Almost three. At the time, the plan was to issue $1 billion in bonds in 2022, with half converted to Bitcoin and the remainder used for infrastructure and Bitcoin mining. Known as volcano bonds, from the proposed use of the Conchagua volcano to power Bitcoin mining rigs, the bonds were to be used to help build a Bitcoin city, a tax-free enclave for Bitcoin advocates. However, the issuance of the bonds was postponed several times with the country's finance minister citing market volatility and the war between Russia and Ukraine as reasons for the delay. Legislation providing a legal framework for the Bitcoin-backed bonds was passed in January 2023. The country's plans to issue Bitcoin-backed bonds have caused friction with the International Monetary Fund, which has repeatedly called for the country to reverse its Bitcoin law, claiming that it raises a number of macroeconomic, financial, and legal issues. El Salvador has continued to court the Bitcoin faithful with the launch of a Freedom Visa program offering foreigners a passport and residency if they invest a million dollars in Bitcoin or Tether in the country. <clears throat> the country has also been stockpiling Bitcoin for its reserves as a statewide hedge against inflation. Bitcoin's recent rally over 42,000 propelled El Salvador's Bitcoin holdings into profit, though the cryptocurrency's price has since slipped back to below that figure. Uh, so uh, we'll keep an eye on the Bitcoin bonds, but if uh, those are successful, then um, that would give El Salvador a way to raise money outside of the misery industry of the uh, IMF and the World Bank. So we wish them luck with that. And last from CoinGape, uh, this was updated a couple days ago. Grayscale explains spot Bitcoin ETF tax structure, what this means. Earlier, a Bloomberg intelligence report claimed Grayscale may have to buy and sell Bitcoin for the ETF creations and redemptions. The buying and selling is taxable and could complicate the GBTC conversion into a spot ETF, it explained. However, the company clarified that the spot commodity ETFs are generally structured to be grantor trusts for tax purposes. Essentially, capital gains tax is not applicable for grantor trusts, it added. Uh, and this is a quote, no such spot commodity ETF that is a grantor trust would be at a disadvantage relative to any other 
spot commodity ETF because of the carrying value of the ETF's assets. Meanwhile, it appears that the SEC is considering the same grayscale filing for conversion of GBTC into a spot Bitcoin ETF on August 29, 2023. You know, appeals court ruled in favor of uh, the commission's decision to deny. Although the judgment did not directly order for the conversion of GBTC, it paved the way for approval in a set timeline. In the space of the last two weeks, companies seeking spot Bitcoin ETF approval like BlackRock, Grayscale, Franklin Templeton, and Fidelity have held meetings with the officials at the US SEC. In a late, latest Bloomberg intelligence analyst, James Seifert, said the BlackRock representatives held deliberations with the SEC yet again on December 14th, 2023. Does this mean the SEC is targeting the next available window of opportunity between January 6th through 10th of 2023, 2024 for approval of the first ever spot Bitcoin ETF in the United States? We shall see. Meanwhile, it seems like it's inevitable. It's just a question of when. Meanwhile, the Bitcoin price is currently trading at its highest range in around 15 months and likely anticipation of institutional money flow thanks to the spot ETF and the Bitcoin halving event scheduled for the second quarter of 2024, which we have talked about many, many times as positive catalysts. But it's not all about the price. It's about freedom money. And that's what we have to remember. Finally, uh, check out this week's featured substack, Bitcoin Legal Title Considerations for Estate Planning and Asset Protection. I'll put a link in the show notes. And if you don't mind, please subscribe to my substack. It's free. I only take donations in uh, Bitcoin and I don't advertise and I don't shill. So check it out. And with that, I will thank you for listening to the podcast this week. If you enjoyed the show, please like and leave a comment. Also, don't forget to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss an episode. If you're not already listening to your podcast on Fountain, you probably should because you can earn Bitcoin just for listening. You can also follow my Substack. Again, it's at bitcoinfortress.substack.com. And you can follow me on Noster. I've put my MPUB in the show notes. And with that, I will talk to you all next week. Bye-bye.